Postscript Media, podcast for a changing planet. Hi, uh, my name's Katie. I'm really curious about what milk to buy. My husband and I drink cream in our coffee, and we love that. And sadly, I would be loath to get that up. I will if I have to. But And we drink almond milk like otherwise, like for cereal or for smoothies. But I know that there's a ton of water that goes into almond farming. And I'm curious about like what's the best milk to be using. Thanks so much for all your work. You know, Tamar, we just did an episode about whether plant-based meat will ever make it. But plant-based milk has already made it. It's now 16% of U.S. milk sales. I mean, Oatly did a Super Bowl ad. I mean, you know, we actually have almond milk in our fridge, and my, my wife also loves oat milk. What about you? Well, if you had asked me yesterday, I wouldn't have had any plant milk in my refrigerator. But at the moment, I have almond Soy and oat because somebody has been needling me about my milk consumption, and uh, we're going to do a little taste test for this episode. <laughs> you know, it really is a thing, especially with young people. And plant-based milks, they started as this niche product for vegans. Uh, Silk actually started making soy chocolate milk in the late 70s. But now it's gone totally mainstream. 40% of American households have at least some plant-based milk. And I do think at least part of the attraction is the environmental side. It really is a relatively painless way to avoid animal products that, as we keep saying over and over again, put a lot of strain on the earth and the climate. There was just that fun news story where the actor James Cromwell, who is not at all a young person but cares a lot about the earth, he actually glued himself to the counter of Manhattan Starbucks to complain that they were charging more for vegan milk. I know I saw that and I actually did a Twitter poll about it because I wanted to know what people thought about, you know, what Cromwell was calling the vegan upcharge. And uh, it turned out I got a lot of respondents. I got like 4,000 respondents and 54% of them said that if oat milk costs more, then then Starbucks should charge more. They thought it was totally righteous. I mean... It's Starbucks. Are they supposed to be installing their own carbon pricing regime? I mean, if they want to charge more, they can. And of course they can. The question is, is should they? That's just one of the questions about plant-based milks. Some of the others are, are they better for the climate? Are they better for, the, for our health? And are some of them better than others? So those are the questions we're going to tackle with this episode. Well, we can't just clear this all up with a Twitter poll? Then we'd be out of a job, Mike. <laughs> I'm Tamar Haspel. And I'm Michael Grunwald. And this is Climavores, a show about eating on a changing planet. All right, Tamar, since we are Climavores, I guess we should at least start by talking about whether plant-based milks are better for the climate. Yes, we and, should. And uh, boring spoiler, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they are better for the climate. The big difference is land use. Um, you know, animal milk uses about 12 times more land per gallon than oat milk, uh, 14 times worse than soy milk, and 18 times worse than almond milk because, you know, almonds grow on trees, so you get even higher density uh, and even less land use. Um, the greenhouse gas emissions, um, overall, it's about three times worse than soy or oat and four times worse than almond. And uh, again, we get the running theme here, right? 
cows are the baddies, <laughs> you know? Uh, it's not just the land use. You've also got their burps, their manure that you just don't get with normal crops. And we had talked in our beef episode about how it's such a catastrophe. You know, you've, you're raising this beef, you're using all this land for a few years, and then you slaughter it and, uh, you know, incredible greenhouse gas emissions. The incredible thing is that with dairy, you're getting three harvests a day. <laughs> you know, they're producing a lot of food, but it's still so much worse than plants. You know, you can eat the plants, you can drink the plants, or you can filter the plants through an animal. And it just turns out that plants are more efficient. Not all of the questions we get are going to have the straightforward answers that the cow questions do. Yes, <laughs> fake meats are better than beef for the environment. And Plant-based milks are better than dairy milk for the, for the environment. There's just there's just no question about that for all of the reasons that you list. But of course, the listener asked a very specific question, and that was about almonds and water use. And I date awareness of this issue back to 2014 when my my co-food an ag writer, Tom Philpot, who writes for Mother Jones, wrote a piece entitled, Lay Off the Almond Milk, You Ignorant Hipsters. And in that piece, he made the case that almond milk was basically stupid. And there were a couple of reasons, both water-related. And the, the agricultural water issue was that almonds are a thirsty crop. It takes somewhere between one gallon and three gallons of water to produce a single almond. And you hear that, and it kind of rocks your world because you have no idea that it takes that much water to raise nuts. But it, it just takes a lot of water to raise a lot of food. So almonds aren't particularly water-intensive compared to other kinds of tree nuts, they're pretty much in the same ballpark. That's just what nuts take to grow. And as we know, nuts are really good for other aspects of, of climate. They're trees. They can grow a lot of food on one acre. It's healthful, nutritious food. It keeps well. Nuts are great, but they do use water. But the, the problem here isn't so much that almonds are particularly water-intensive. It's that just about 100% of the almonds that we consume and the vast majority of the ones we export are grown in California. And California has a water problem. And that was one of the things that Tom was objecting to. Now, do you think he's right about that, Mike? Well, let's start and say that it, it actually is true that almond milk is one of the most water-intensive foods that you can get. I mean, it is way worse than soy or oat milk if water is your thing. Um, there are very few things that are, that are worse than almonds uh, when it comes to water except for cows. <laughs> cows are, once again, even worse. This is like the running so while, theme in this show. <laughs> You know, I'm sorry. Cows are 24 times more water per gallon of milk than soy, 13 times more than oats. Almonds are so bad that cows are almost, they're not even twice as bad. They're only like 60% worse. But that's still a lot worse. This isn't so much about the water intensiveness of almonds. The, the problem here is it's a California problem, not an almond problem per se. and. Are almonds contributing to the problems in California? Obviously, they are. To what extent are they? 
almonds are a water hog, and that is a problem. And they're grown in California, which has a big drought problem. And in fact, that's a climate problem too, because uh, as you know, and I'm a super bore about this, but we're going to need to grow a lot more food with a lot less land. And California is running out of water, particularly groundwater, so much so that uh, they've They've got some very tough new groundwater restrictions, um, and they're saying that by 2040, they may have to take 500,000 acres of farmland out of production. And the Central Valley is some of the, you know, look, they're farming the desert, uh, but it's some of the most productive farmland in the world. And if you're not going to be able to use that farmland anymore, if you're going to have to leave it fallow, then somewhere else they're going to have to pick up the slack, and that's going to mean more deforestation. So there is a real issue with, you know, with almond milk, with using water, and that does have a backdoor, you know, kind of bank shot climate effect. It's just not nearly as bad as using cows. Okay, but I want to get back to Tom's other water-related point, which is that, you know, he looked at the, the, the nutrition that was in almond milk, and obviously there's only a handful of almonds in that half gallon of almond milk. And a, a serving, a cup, usually only has five or six almonds in it. And he's objecting to taking five or six almonds, diluting it in water, and selling it as as a premium food. And you know it, this this reminds me a little bit of our salad conversation because when you live in a world of overabundance it makes sense to dilute things that things don't have very many calories that there's not much food in your food which is true of both almond milk and lettuce because we eat too many calories um we have too much food and it makes total sense and it's arguably healthy for us to have foods that are mostly water to have ways to consume foods that have us eating less. So obviously this doesn't make sense in the developing world. I'm not bringing almond milk to places where children are stunted and there's protein deficiency, but I'm going to make the case that in the developed world, diluting your almonds with water and having people eat a little less of what is essentially a precious resource makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. If you were just talking about almond milk, okay, yeah, sure, that's crazy. Why are we just drinking this, like, you know, basically nut water? Um, but remember, what we're talking about is a milk substitute, and dairy milk has these terrible problems. Um, I've been to an industrial dairy in California, and it didn't look like a lot of fun for the cows. But putting that aside, I mean, you've got real problems with, we discussed the, the climate issues, uh, the water issues, but there are also these huge manure lagoons um, that create all kinds of environmental problems. And don't forget the antibiotics. I mean, this is a national crisis um, that we're pumping our dairy cows full of too many antibiotics, um, and that's creating all kinds of resistance. Okay, Mike, I think we're just going to have to tape your your thing about cows and land use <laughs> and antibiotics and water, and we're just going to press play whenever we come to an issue where <laughs> well, cows are well, involved. Let, we can stipulate that I'm a bore about this stuff. But look, like cows, <laughs> okay. like we use a quarter of the earth for cows. And the fact that they're not just bad, but 
bad, 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 bad is a real problem. I think we've sort of played out the the climate question. And the answer is, yes, plant-based milk, better for the climate. Which plant-based milk? Well, if you have a concern about almonds and their and their water that's totally legit then uh, do soy and oats but from my perspective soy oat and almonds are all so much better for the climate than than dairy milk that you should just get the one you like you know whichever one is going to make you drink less dairy that's great I'm in favor of that and uh, this is why we're doing a taste test live on the show but that's only part of the battle? Are they better for the climate? One of the issues that comes up all the time when we talk about this is whether they're better for us. Are plant milks as nutritious or are they more nutritious than than dairy? When I was a kid, <laughs> my mom made me drink a glass of milk with every meal. Um, whole milk, by the way. <laughs> though, uh, mm-hmm. though then there was this idea that skim was better, I guess, because it was less fattening or something. I'm not the nutrition person. I assume all of this is, uh, you know, way obsolete thinking. But look, I think a lot of us, we've seen the got milk ads. Um, there's this idea that it's somehow good for our bodies. It helps us recover. It makes us strong, gives us strong bones. Is is this true? Do we need milk and particularly dairy milk? The answer, I mean, if people want to stop listening right now, is no. We don't need those things. <laughs> Uh-oh, don't and, go. <laughs> but, but, but there's, wait, there's more. Um, Part of it is that we have, as a society, as Americans, internalized this idea that milk is good, especially for children. And I think that this idea originated at a time when we weren't quite so drowning in abundance. And there was still lots of people in the United States who weren't getting enough food or enough nutritious food. And when there isn't enough or when people or specifically children aren't getting enough, milk is a high quality food. It has two of the things that people and especially children need, and that's fat and protein. So I want to talk about those two things separately because those are two of the things that come up all the time. So first, let's talk about fat. And that's one of the issues, actually, that the plant-based people push because most plant-based milks have very little or no saturated fat. And saturated fat is the health knock on dairy. Obviously, full-fat dairy has much more of it. Skim doesn't have it. But saturated fat is pretty reliably something that raises some of the bad blood lipids um, in trials. So your LDL goes up, your APOB goes up when you have saturated fat. But interestingly, not all saturated fat is the same. And we're going to go just a little bit into the weeds here because I think it's important. More into the weeds than LDL? (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) So, so, yeah, a little more into the weeds because um, it you can actually test whether saturated fat um, affects blood lipids or not, and people have done it. And the weird thing that's come out of it is that some saturated fats, butter and meat, do raise uh, bad blood fats, 
but others milk and cream and cheese seem not to. And people hypothesize about why that is. And one of the uh, one of the theories is that there's this uh, uh, a membrane that surrounds the fat in some of these products. And so, you know, why would cream not raise your LDL, but butter raise your LDL when butter is basically churned cream? And the idea is, well, maybe that processing breaks that membrane. But people don't really know. But the fact remains that the saturated fat in milk and cheese does not seem to be quite as harmful as or even maybe not harmful at all as the fat in in butter and milk. So let's just lay that one out first. Um, so from a fat perspective, I think it's much more an issue of calories than it is on fat content. But protein is different. Um, and again, most of the plant milks don't have nearly the protein content that that dairy has. And so then we have the question, okay, well, how much protein do we need? Is more better? Do we get enough here in the United States in the developed world? Because that's, of course, what we're talking about here. Nobody's suggesting that, you know, South Saharan Africa should be drinking almond milk. Um, And the answer is we get plenty of protein in the United States. And, you know, depending on who you ask, Protein, we should be getting about a third of a gram of protein per day for every pound of body weight. Um, And that's not a whole hell of a lot. And we eat way more than that in the United States. So I am not concerned about the protein content of the various plant-based milks versus dairy milk because we eat so much of everything in the United States that it's just not so, a problem. So let me just break it down for uh, for layman like me. So it sounds like you're saying that uh, the plant-based milks, all of them, they have less fat and less protein, but that since, you know, in the United States, we have way too much of everything, it doesn't matter that much. Is that is that kind of a right? And that's that's it. And it goes back. It's the same conundrum because here we are. We have a whole podcast about the climate impact of food. And if you're trying to feed 10 billion people responsibly, you want foods that are both nutrient and calorie dense. That's where you get the bang for the buck. And the fact that we have an obesity and an overabundance problem in the United States sends us in the complete opposite direction, where foods that have less of something are actually a big human nutrition plus. And we're going to run up against this conundrum over and over and over again. So you're sort of saying it's almost like uh, plant-based milks are are healthier because there's less in them. (laughs) I assume animal milk is mostly water too, but but it's it's less diluted than than plant milk and therefore uh, hooray, right? Right. No, animal-based milk has has more nutrients. There's just no question about it. And, okay, while we're talking about nutrients, a quick note on one that people talk about a lot, which is calcium. And um, in some sense, it's basically a wash because most of the plant-based milks are fortified with calcium. So it shouldn't be a concern um, if you want to switch and you're concerned about calcium. But there's one more issue that I think we should cover about human nutrition, and that is children. Because like you said, you know, when you were a kid, 
uh, your mom wanted you to have a glass of milk with every meal. I'm, I'm assuming she's not still calling you and telling you you, you still need it. And she still kids, asks when I come home. I must say, like old old habits right. die hard. <laughs> right. Um, so kids have different nutritional needs from adults. They're growing and they need way more fat, and they need at least a little more protein. And so the question is, okay, is it better for kids to drink this milk? The answer completely depends on what else kids are eating. Because yes, kids need the fat, they need the protein. But again, they're often getting it in everything else they eat. Because we have, kids are more at risk for childhood obesity than they are for being, say, protein deficient. And so the question, should kids drink milk, um, you have to look at what else is in their diet before you make that decision. But yes, kids have a higher need for the things that are in milk than adults well, do. Let me ask you one more question, uh, because uh, we, when we talked about the climate, it was like soy and oat and almond, they were like 12 times better, 14 times better. Um, here it seems like animal milk at least has like a little bit more stuff in it. But is it like, you know, 20%, 40% more? Or is it, again, like 12 times, 14 times more? I just mentioned the idea of, uh, of the, the developing world, and you, you kind of instantly said, like, nobody's saying that, that they should drink this stuff in the developing world. But if it's only a little bit less nutritious, well, then, yeah, maybe, maybe they should drink it in the developing world. We'll just have to make more of it. And it could be that there are going to be plant-based milks that are appropriate for the developing world. My guess is that they would have to be significantly fortified. But if you look at the nutritional breakdown, no, you don't get the same, you know, wild disparity that you see in climate. But like, again, depending on what milk you're talking about, it could have you know, four to eight times as as much fat. It it always has a lot more saturated fat because people don't work saturated fat into plant-based milks because of the health concerns. Um, plant-based milks usually have some fiber, which is good for you, and 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 dairy doesn't have it. Uh, and the protein, again, varies. Whole milk has maybe eight grams of protein in a cup, and some of the plant-based milks have one gram, but some of them have more. Again, you have to read labels. It's really hard to generalize. And what, one thing I do, I I, uh, I made this point during our plant-based meat episode, and uh, and you pushed back a little, but I do think it's worth mentioning that the cow is a pretty mature technology, while these plant-based milks are are you know they're more mature than the plant-based meats, but they can make them better. It seems like there are going to be all kinds of milks on the market, and maybe some of them will hit. I guess I'm an optimist that, uh, you know, we've already displaced 16% of the market in the United States, and animal milk is actually decreasing. I mean, maybe something even better will come along and can really shake things up. I think it's going to have to be better to really displace a lot of dairy, because I think it's important to note that although milk consumption, dairy milk consumption in the United States has gone down significantly in the last five years, Americans are eating more dairy than ever because we more than make up for that with our cheese consumption and our yogurt consumption, our butter consumption, all of which has gone up. So I'm not convinced that people are doing this so much for the planet as they are maybe for themselves or for uh, for flavor, some people prefer these milks. 
Um, and of course, you know, it is an option for people who, who have gone vegan. But I think we're still pretty attached to dairy in this country. And if we're going to decrease our consumption, uh, you're absolutely right. The milks have to get better. I think this is a good kind of pivot point because uh, it's true we're eating a lot more cheese, but we're we're drinking less animal milk. And presumably, if it wasn't for these plant-based milks, we'd be drinking more animal milk, just like we're eating more cheese. Meat is a lot harder to uh, to replicate, right? I mean, people have a juicy steak, uh, an awesome burger. That's delicious. Um, I, you don't hear as much like, wow, that was the most delicious milk I've ever had. It's like milk is kind of milk. And so I think it's not that surprising um, that you've got some substitutes that people, if they don't think it's better, they think it's good enough that they're actually switching. And I do think that as you're starting to see a company like Perfect Day, which is using the kind of the fungi to, to grow dairy in a, in a fermenter, they're doing whey, you know, they're going to try to do yogurt and ice cream. And I'm sure they're going to, they're going to do milks too. Um, I think there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of options, but presumably, and this, I guess, gets back to James Cromwell a little bit, is that uh, it's going to succeed if it can compete on, uh, on price and on taste. I think you're right about that. The idea that we're not tied to the taste of milk, like the way we're tied to cheese. People people go crazy for cheese and different kinds, and cheese is delicious. And so, yeah, you're right. It's going to be a, a lot harder to substitute. And I've had... My sense is that the the spreadable cheeses, the 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 fake cheeses, some of them are pretty good, but you know, you the the cheeses that they're putting on 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 a pizza, it's like not the same thing yet. So should should they be able to call almond milk milk? What do you think? I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. I don't think there's really any question about why, you know, the dairymen in lots of states, just like the cattlemen, are pushing for, you know, oh, if it doesn't come from a lactating animal, you can't call it milk. Just like if it doesn't come from a slaughtered animal, you can't call it meat. To me, it's sort of transparently bogus. It's just a way to stop competition. I mean, you never hear people say like, oh, you know, there's no dog in that hot dog. You can't call it a hot dog. You know, there's no Girl Scout in that Girl Scout cookie. I mean, you should be able to call things whatever you want and consumers will figure it out if they're not committing fraud. Okay. I'm not going to go that far that you can call things whatever they want, but I totally agree with you that that plant-based milk should be called milk. I mean, nobody was complaining when there was coconut milk on the market. And, you know, the dairy industry did not get their knickers in a twist about it. It's because it wasn't 16% of the market. (laughs) Right. And that's the thing. These labels are specifically to protect consumers. um, And and the dairy industry is pretending that there's some kind of confusion out there where, in fact, all of these milks specifically lead with the fact that they're not dairy milk because that's their selling proposition. And I have to say that I think the dairy industry has really annoyed me with this. And the fact that it's taking up time in courts as these things get litigated, it, it just it just shouldn't be. Uh, there's room for all of these things in our food supply, and, and there 
isn't confusion about it. So consumers do not need protection from almond milk. I think obviously the dairy the dairy folks are scared. That is not a growing industry. And uh, you know, and as we deal with all these gigantic climate problems that we're talking about, if we can solve one of them with just uh, a few nuts plus water or a few soybeans plus water, fantastic. Yeah, I totally I totally agree with you. Let's get back to the question that we talked about up front, which was, let's call it the Cromwell question, (laughs) which is whether Starbucks should charge more for oat milk uh, because oat milk costs more. And I'm going to make the case that the best thing that Starbucks can do is to lump together all of the costs of their dairy and non-dairy milk and distribute it across the the spectrum of drinks that have those things in them. I mean, you, you're fooling yourself if you think you go to Starbucks or a restaurant and you're only paying for the ingredients in the thing that you order. Obviously, costs get amortized over everything that gets sold in that restaurant. And it seems to me that doing this with milks is a way for Starbucks to actually take a step in a climate-friendly direction with very little harm to people who choose not to consume those milks. You know, Tamar, that's that's a you make a good case, and I probably shouldn't have been so dismissive at, at the beginning. That's but your it, mo, Mike. Touche, <laughs> touche. <laughs> uh, but look, I will say this: um, you know, Starbucks Starbucks can do what it wants, and uh, and if it thinks it'll get a little bit of a green halo by by you know charging the same for all milks, that's that's obviously its prerogative. But I do feel very strongly that uh, you know. The government can help on these things. And if we want to have a discussion about subsidizing research or even subsidizing deployment of plant-based milks in the same way that they, you know, our government helped get solar and wind and electric vehicles off the ground and LED lighting, I think there's a real discussion to be had there. But ultimately, this stuff is going to live or die in the marketplace. I think when James Cromwell glues himself to the counter at Starbucks, he's suggesting that there is, you know, this is civil disobedience. There is some egregious wrong being committed here by Starbucks deciding to charge what it actually costs them for oat milk. And But wait, can I make a case here? Because I agree it's not an egregious wrong. The thing that, that can actually make change happen aren't like the mainstream, nuanced, reasonable people like we're setting ourselves up to be. It's the fringe. It's the people who go out and and glue themselves to Starbucks. And, you know, you and I were talking about this the other day. And and it occurred to me that it was a lot like um, fur. So I'm sure lots of people remember it wasn't that long ago when there was a huge anti-fur campaign where people would throw fake blood on people who were wearing fur. And, you know, that was that was a fringe activity. It was a fringe protest. It was it was a thing that I know I never would have done. But I give them a lot of credit for changing the zeitgeist on fur. Well, it's it's hilarious that you mentioned that because just this morning, I was talking to uh, my friend Bruce Friedrich, who was actually 
the brains behind those people throwing blood on fur. He ran the campaigns for PETA. You I know, did not know he, that. So, and he he was, you know, a radical. He had the crazy big hair, you know, the crazy beard. <laughs> and what's hilarious about Bruce is that if you talk to him today, first of all, he'll say that whole movement failed. Um, now, obviously, it, it did change some minds about fur, but in the larger sense, did it really save animals? No. And today... Bruce, he looks like a tech bro. You know, he, he goes on panels. He sits sits next to Bill Gates. Um, and he is in charge of the Good Food Institute. And what they do is they are the trade association for plant-based food, for the meats and for the milks. He is the guy trying to help these, these companies with their research, with their lobbying. Um, uh-huh. And because he understands that ultimately this stuff is going to live or die in the marketplace. The government has a role in setting the rules of the marketplace, and it can actually put its thumb on the scale to help some of these alternatives get off the ground, but ultimately is going to come down to taste and whether people like it. And speaking of taste... Tamar, you mentioned at the beginning of the show that uh, that you were willing to to try some plant based milk on the pod. We're supposed to be such climavores, and uh, <laughs> and I do think it would be great if you know if you find something you like, maybe you can make the switch. So, uh, so I you, you got it with you? I think it's possible. I've got it with me. I've got three samples here. I have oat milk. I have soy milk and I have almond milk. And I'm going to try each one and I am going to give you my assessment in real time. We're going to start with the oat milk, which is my daughter's favorite. She keeps it in her fridge at all times. It's totally fine. It's neutral. It's a little bit oaty. <laughs> That's a really stupid thing to say about oat milk, but there you have it. Were there notes of cherry, or uh, I don't know what what is it? What does it wine people say? <laughs> it it doesn't have that nice mouth feel of full fat, bona fide dairy, but um, I, I'm okay with that. So now soy milk. Now, this, it tastes sweeter, but the texture is similar to dairy milk. So far, I have to say, I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised. Now, almond milk, in some ways, this is a little bit unfair because both my soy and my oat milk are much higher in calories and almost comparable to, certainly to, to low-fat milk. But the almond milk only has 35 calories a cup. So if that's good, it's a real, you know, calorie win for those of us who have trouble maintaining their weight. Oh, it tastes like water. That's really <laughs> disappointing. <laughs> Not a fan. Yeah, well, as we as we started on the original call, it does use a lot of water. <laughs> so, Tom Philpott was right after all. Oh my gosh, I see you're making a face. I mean, I think it's fine. Milk doesn't agree with me, and the plant milks are fine. Are you are you going to switch? Which and which which are you going to switch to? Well, one of my beefs, if you will, with plant-based meats is that they only seem to come in half gallons. So I now have a half gallon of Chobani oat milk, a half gallon of silk soy milk, and a half gallon of Califia almond milk in my refrigerator. And so I'm going to have to find ways to use it, and uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted, and I'm, I'm sure our audience is on the edge of their seat. <laughs> You've just reduced your carbon footprint. Congratulations. There we go. 
Climavores is a production of Postscript Media, and we want to hear from you. The show is about answering your questions, and we can't do that unless we know what they are. Give us a call and leave a message at 508-377-3449. Or you can do it the old-fashioned way and drop us an email at climavores at postscriptaudio.com. We just might feature your question on an upcoming episode. Climavores is hosted by me, Tamar Haspel. And me, Michael Grunwald. Scott Clavenna and Stephen Lacey are our executive producers, and Ann Bailey is senior editor. Cecily Mesa-Martinez is our managing producer, and Dalvin Abouage is the associate producer. Sean Marquand and Greg Villefranc are the engineers. We really appreciate all the great reviews. Uh, we're starting to get a lot of buzz, but this is uh, the only way we can grow is through word of mouth. So please give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Spotify. And if you have somebody else in your life who you think would enjoy hearing us, pass them a link. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm focused on climate solutions across energy, food, agriculture, transportation, logistics, and advanced materials. And we'll be back again next week with a new show. Music